often we're so busy giving Jesus orders. Often we're so busy giving Jesus our wish list. We've forgotten totally who is the real master and who is the real servant. Servants ask their masters how they can serve them. Servants don't ask their masters how the servants can be served. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you again on another Lord's Day. This is your day, not ours. And God, in a culture, in a world that is continuing, it seems like, by the day to press more deeper into darkness, to rebel against your word, to rebel against the truth. God, I pray that you would find us faithful, find us obedient, find us clinging, not to our circumstances, but clinging to you, O oh God. God, I pray that in the midst of trials and tribulation, your word tells us as Jesus commands us that in this world you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, you will have a pressing together pressure, but to be of good cheer. Why? Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. And so, Father, I pray all over this room today and for those families represented here today, God, I pray would you simply give us great courage, give us great boldness to stand for you, to stand for truth. Lord, I pray that you give me, give us soft, tender hearts today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us great discernment to seek through and to see clearly the schemes and the lies of the enemy, God, and to identify those. Lord, keep us on the narrow way. It's a path that is narrow, and few will find it, is what the Bible says. And yet, wide is the path. Wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many droves will go in by it. Oh God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit today, would you move in this place? Father, I pray that you would stir in such a way here in my heart, in our hearts, Holy Spirit, even right now, would you give us divine illumination that again, we'll hear your voice and no other voices, not even our own voice. Because our own voices, my own voice, will often betray us. But Lord, help us to hear your voice only, to block out every distraction, that we'd be so in tune, so focused, so dialed in, that 
All we want to do is hear from you today, oh God. And God, for that to happen, I have to get out of the way. And I pray that right now, Father. I pray that you just move me out of the way. Don't allow people to see the messenger. Only allow them to hear and listen to and see the message whose name is Jesus. And so, Father, we simply surrender our lives to you. We submit our lives to you. We joyfully right now crawl up on the altar and simply proclaim, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter and I am the clay. Oh, Lord, give me a divine unction right now by your Spirit. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you and only you my Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. All right, in the Bible in front of you, Acts chapter 2, looking at verses 14 through 41, we are going to examine Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And of course, this is after the Holy Spirit's arrival. And the title of the sermon is this, Two Vital Responses to God's Word. Two Vital Responses to God's Word. When you and I hear the Word of God, whether it's reading the Word of God, whether it's listening to the Word of God preached, whether it's in a small group fellowship and you're being taught the Word of God in that smaller setting, the reality is this, we all at that moment of hearing God's Word have an opportunity to respond. Will we respond in obedience? Will we respond with a heart that says that I, I want to listen, just not hear? I just don't want it to be a bunch of hubbub, if you will, and noise, but I want to listen intently. Well, we're going to see something powerful from God's Word this morning about two vital responses to God's Word. And here's what the Word of God says. Follow along with me in your Bible. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 14 and following, as Peter begins to preach. And we could say this on the front end, Peter begins to throw down. And here he goes. But Peter, so he's responding to what happened previously when there was this accusation of people being inebriated when they really weren't because they were just filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter responds, and it says this, standing with the eleven, so there's leadership, he's standing, he's being bold, lifting up his voice, he's this herald, he's proclaiming, and addressed them. He says this, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, which, by the way, that's 9 a.m. The Jewish clock started at 6 a.m., so when you hear third hour, sixth hour, just start at 6 a.m. and add those hours. Verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, let me just make a note here. So verses 17 through 21 are quoted from the book of Joel. And in the last days, verse 17, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit, capital S, on all flesh. 
Very interesting point. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, shall shall proclaim, is what that means, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. Now look at 18. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Hmm. And they shall prophesy. 19, love this. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. What signs? Blood and fire, vapor and of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Wow. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Let me read that again. Let me make sure we're tracking on this. So if you're here today and you've given your life to Jesus, you're going to see very clearly from the Word of God, from the Word of God, you're going to see the power of the Word of God. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I pray right now that that you're trembling. I pray that you see the power of Almighty God. Let me read this one more time. Verse 19, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Now look at 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can we get an amen on that? Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never given your life to Jesus today, but as God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, even right now, is ripping open your heart. Maybe the heart's been hardened and calloused, and you've been resisting the Lord. And maybe right now, He's opening your heart. That right now, the Holy Spirit is working in there. You can call on the name of the Lord in true repentance, true surrender today, and you can be rescued. So here's the meat of the sermon, verse 22, and this is where Peter doesn't mince words. Men of Israel, the Jews, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. From eternity past, the sovereign hand of God is in motion here. Here he goes. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Uh Uh-oh. Somebody better pray for Peter. But he goes on, 24, but God raised him up, the resurrection. He's giving examples here of his death and his resurrection, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, here's more prophecy, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. And my flesh also will dwell in hope. 27, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You, I love this, for you have made known to me the paths of life. You will make, what? Make me full of gladness with your presence. More quoting from the Psalms. Brothers, 29, I may say to you with, help me church, 
confidence. Did you catch that? Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Now look here for a moment, church 30 through 32, Peter is going to explain this Psalm 17, or 16 rather, Psalm 16 in light of Christ, which he's quoting. Here it is, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with him an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection, he's bringing this up again, of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades. Nor did he see flesh, nor did his flesh see corruption. What? 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. They're testifying, being therefore, what, exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and you're hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. Did you hear this? He's talking to the Jews. He says, let all the house of Israel, all the Jews therefore know for certain, no ambiguity, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow. Now, how do they respond? Well, look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent turn from, turn your mind from, and be baptized. Show this outward expression, this act of obedience of an inward change. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, for the pardoning of your sins, and you will receive, you will take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. 39 through 41, for the promise is for you and for your children. If your children believe this and they give their lives to Christ, yes, they will. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord, I love that, everyone whom the Lord our God calls, woos, draws to Himself. And this is important, verse 40, because the sermon's not over. They just don't give detail. And with many other words, and with many other words, Peter is bringing the heat It is not listed. He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received, verse 41, his word, were baptized. They followed through because their hearts had been cut, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And all God's people said, amen. Two responses, vital responses to the word of God. You know, when we hear the Word of God, we can clam up, we can resist, we can give the Lord a Heisman stiff arm, or we can say, Lord, speak to my heart and get in there. 
and look at verse 37. We'll call it A. Just two points here. 37A. Now, when they heard this, what did they hear? Well, it was Peter's sermon. We just read it. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. As I mentioned earlier, there's a difference between just hearing and listening. We can hear something and it remain on the surface. But when there's a listening, a biblical listening, there is a depth of introspection. There is an internalization of the words that are being spoken that cut deep to the core. What was their response? Well, it's pretty simple. It says here, and now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now, this is very important because it means this, to be cut to the heart. It means to pierce, to prick. It actually means this in the Greek, even deeper, to agitate violently. So take that in its context. Now, when they heard this, when they heard the Word of God, and you got to remember, there's Peter, and he's saying, look, here's the deal, uh, men of Israel. Uh, I'm not going to give you what you want to hear today, but I'm going to give you what you need to hear. You crucified Jesus. The Messiah you crucified, the one who is going to save and can save and has saved, you're the ones that have crucified Him. Can you imagine how on high alert they were? Can you imagine what the response could have been? It could have been just a hardening of the heart. It could have been, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. But instead, it says this, they were cut to the heart. They were pierced. They were agitated violently. There was extreme spiritual sorrow here. They were stunned. When Peter, I'm sure that they gathered around probably thinking, hey, he's probably going to tell us, you know, here's three ways to improve your finances. Here's three ways to improve your marriage. Here's three ways to get along with your in-laws and your outlaws. Instead, he goes, you killed Jesus. And because of his boldness and his willingness to stand for truth, their response by the power and the illumination of the Holy Spirit was that they were cut to the heart. They were grabbed. They were gripped. And they were sorrowful spiritually. They were broken spiritually. They were under deep conviction spiritually. There was intense spiritual pain in their lives because they were such deeply moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. I do find this interesting. When Jesus was betrayed in the garden, as Jesus was confronted, do you remember what Peter did? He pulled out a, a sword, and he did something. Do you remember? Well, he started cutting, didn't he? He cut off an ear. I find this very interesting. Peter now is being used as an instrument and a tool of the Holy Spirit to do some cutting in people's hearts. At one point, he was cutting physically, 
But now by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's cutting spiritually. He's a vessel that's being used to, to cut and to pierce the hardened hearts. And that's why our key number one is so important as you write it down in your notes. Key number one, a mission-critical response to hearing the Word of God is to have a spiritually soft and tender heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Key number one, write it down. A mission-critical response to hearing the Word of God. And when I say hearing, we're referring to deep listening, internalizing. Is to have a spiritually soft and tender heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you let me give you four ways here in your notes to daily foster a soft and tender heart. Maybe you're here today going, man, the soft tender heart thing is resonating. This soft tender heart thing, I need it. My heart's hardened and it's calloused. This soft tender heart is important for me today, and I need this so desperately. Here are four practical ways I want to give you. Number one, saturate your mind through throughout the day with the Word. Saturate your mind throughout the day with the Word. Find ways that you can saturate your mind throughout the day with the Word. Maybe it's going to be on an audio recording. Uh, maybe you're reading the actual Word in a paper Bible. Maybe at lunch you have a, a phone that has a digital Bible. But saturate your mind. Be in the Word. I, I can't say this enough. But because when we're in the Word, when we're in the crises of life, the Word that's in us will come out. We must be in the Word. Number two, saturate your mind throughout the day in humble prayer to the Lord. Number two, saturate your mind throughout the day in humble prayer to the Lord. We could just say pray to the Lord, and that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. That two-way communication, that intimacy that is fostered there through prayer. But there's something about humble prayer. Like you and I just come to the Lord saying, God, man, you're hit, and there's none other, and Lord, we just confess, and we come before you in deep contrition and humility, and God will honor that. His word says this, on this one will I look. He, she, who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. The word of God says this. This is thus saith the Lord stuff here, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That God literally goes to war against the prideful. He literally is going to war. And that's a battle none of us are going to win. Humble prayer. Contrite prayer. Number three, saturate your mind throughout the day to intentionally pursue personal holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, write this down. Saturate your mind throughout the day to intentionally pursue personal holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I will never stumble into personal holiness by accident. There has to be an intentionality that, that God has gripped you, that He's gripped me by the power of the Holy Spirit, that He begins to illuminate truth, and we just see how desperate we are not to check off boxes, not to impress our friends. We say, God, we want to walk in holiness. Your Word tells us, God, be holy as I am holy, that we take that seriously, and we say, oh God, I want to be like you. I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And then, fourth, saturate your life with humble, godly people around you that push you to be more like Jesus. Saturate your life with humble, 
with humble, godly people around you that push you to be more like Jesus? Ask yourself that last question. Are the people around you, around me, are they pushing you to be more like Jesus? You know, we become who we hang out with. I've been saying this now for years. We tell this to our children, don't we, parents? Be careful who you hang out with. It's the same thing as adults. Be careful who we're hanging out with. Think about that circle that's around you and honestly go, when I'm around them and I leave, am I more like Jesus? I mean, that's a mission-critical step in a true believer's life. It doesn't mean you don't associate with people. It means this, though, that you are around people that when you leave their presence, even in a relaxed environment, even on a vacation, you leave becoming more like Christ. And it all comes back to the soft and tender heart. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. I don't know if you noticed this, but in your Bible there, it says this, that they received the Word of God. They received it. The word received means this, to take hold of. When you see the word received, it means this, to take hold of. So, as the Word of God is being preached, and by the way, again, this is not Twinkies and Twizzlers that Peter's talking about. This is hard stuff. He's saying, look, this is Jesus whom you crucified, but oh, by the way, this is Jesus who's now resurrected. And he's showing them that even though they sinned and crucified him at the hands of the Romans, he's saying, look, there's always forgiveness and redemption, and if you turn from this, you can have this abundant life, this true forgiveness, this true koinonia vertically that only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, they had two options. They could have received it, which they did, they take hold of it, or they could have did another R, they could have rejected it. And the Pharisees were really good at rejecting things. The Pharisees gave the impression that they were in the club, they had all the right sayings, they did, they did everything. You would have looked at the Pharisees going, man, these guys, these must be super Christians. And yet Jesus comes at them and says, you brood of vipers, you're of your father, the devil. Wow, not a compliment. He comes at these guys and says that the outward part of your dish is clean, but the inside, your heart is filthy. He says that you are literally whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones spiritually. Your heart is far from me is what he's saying. Here Peter is saying, I'm going to tell you some hard truths. It's going to be really hard to hear, but you are the ones through the hands of the Romans that killed Jesus, but I got great news. He's no longer dead, but he's fully alive. And I don't know about you, church. Aren't you glad today that we serve Jesus Christ, who is not dead, but he's fully alive? 
Like regardless of what the world says, regardless of what Hollywood says, the political scene, regardless, 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 I know this according to my Bible that it says this, on the third day, Jesus Christ arose from the grave. And because He arose, I mean, if He doesn't come out of that grave, we're all in trouble. If He doesn't come out of that grave, we might as well close up shop and go home. But because, because Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God who gave His life for you and for me, because He conquered sin, because He conquered death, the tomb is forever empty, and for the true believer, we have freedom indeed. You say, how do you know? Well, the Bible tells me so. It says, for who the Son sets free spiritually is spiritually set free indeed. Powerful, powerful thoughts. Think of it like this, root and fruit. We all got roots, and whatever we're feeding those roots spiritually is going to bring forth spiritual fruit, either yielding alive spiritual fruit or dead spiritual fruit. It always comes back to root and fruit. You know, many people are seeking happiness Many people today, you know this, maybe it's you, many people today are seeking happiness. When I can assure you, as I've read the Bible and God's working on my own heart, God's not concerned with my happiness. God's concerned with my holiness. God's not concerned with my happiness today. He's concerned with my holiness. He's not concerned with your happiness. He's concerned with your holiness. Are you, am I, becoming more holy? The only way we will get holy is when we hear the Word of God that we will be cut to the heart, that we'll be so gripped and, and agitated violently in a healthy way that we'll be pierced and pricked and we'll go, Lord, there's only one response I can give you today, and that's just surrender my life to you. But so many people, even professed believers, well, give God a stiff arm. And God will not take that lightly. Write these verses down, these supporting verses. Let me give you these. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Very important verse here. 2 Corinthians 7, 10. It says this, For godly grief, godly sorrow, produces, it's doing something, produces a repentance, a turning from, not rationalizing, just saying, you know what? Yes, there it is. A repentance that leads to salvation, rescue eternally. I love that. That leads to salvation, rescue. Just love it. Without regret. Whereas worldly grief, fleshly grief, pharisaical grief, produces, it's doing something, death. For the true believer who's cut to the heart, who's pierced, who's agitated, there's godly sorrow. It's so beautiful. Repentance is going to be the outflow. Repentance is going to be the outflow that leads to salvation. But for those who are professing falsely, the charade will be exposed for what it really is. Think about James chapter 4, verse 6. James 4, 6, write that down. But he, God, gives more grace, charis, unmerited favor. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. Here it is. But he gives grace to the humble. 
Church, again, just real simple. I mean, if I and you are living in pride, if we have pride in our hearts, we've opened the door to God going to war against us. It's that simple. Question, do you think if God is going to war against you or me, do you think He's going to bless you? Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. James 3.16, we quote this one often because it's just such a powerful verse. But it's about the soft and tender heart. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be, here's what you're signing up for, disorder and every vile practice. So see, motives that are rooted in selfishness and or envy are the fertile soil that begin to reap division. That's what happens. You know, I've been in ministry for a long, long time, and, you know, I've heard over and over throughout the years, why aren't I singing the solo? Why aren't I serving in that role? Why aren't I teaching the class? I never hear anyone saying, why aren't I picking up the trash? Why aren't I pulling weeds? It's a heart that's not cut. It's a heart that's hardened. And God's not going to bless it. That's why Ezekiel says it like this, 36 through 26. Ezekiel 36, 26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is what Spurgeon had to say about that verse. He said this, Spurgeon, The hard heart does not love the Redeemer, but the renewed heart burns with affection towards Him. Many are the privileges of this renewed heart. It is fitted to receive every spiritual blessing. Did you catch that? And every blessing comes to it. It is prepared to yield every heavenly fruit to the honor and the praise of God, and therefore the Lord delights in it. Listen to this next statement by Spurgeon. A tender heart, a soft heart, is the best defense against sin and the best preparation for heaven. A renewed heart stands on its watchtower looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And then he asks, have you this heart of flesh? See, it's so easy, isn't it, to pull a Matthew 7, 3 through 5, Matthew 7, 3 through 5, and why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a big log in your own eye? Jesus says here, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Powerful. One person once said, you can't turn towards God without turning from the things He is against. One person said this, you can't turn towards God without turning from the things He is against. 
Church, where are we in this equation? Where are you? Where am I? Are we cut to the heart today? Are our hearts so gripped and and stirred in such a way? Are are they agitated by the power of the Holy Spirit right now that as He's in there and He's speaking and He's showing me and He's showing you that, hey, these are areas that I need to take under my control and, and my submission. Where are you? Where am I today? And a spiritual healthy meter on this regard of where are we as we are cut to the heart? So often the physical heart has plaque buildup, doesn't it? So often the physical heart has arteries that get clogged. And yet spiritual hearts get plaque buildup. Spiritual hearts get clogged. And it's just so easy to allow the slow fade away from true holy things to still give the impression of pursuing Christ, but it's really not pursuing Christ, but... It's pursuing a hardened heart that is self-focused. Look at the last part of 37 for our final point. And as they were cut to the heart, the spiritual brokenness they had, church, led the people to now ask a very critical question. We'll call this 37B. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? See, their their spiritual broken hearts, as you look in the Bible in front of you, look at that 37B, their spiritual broken hearts led to deep spiritual introspection. If my heart and your heart are not broken spiritually, we will seek to inspect everybody else. We will seek to investigate everybody else. But a spiritual broken heart seeks to inspect and investigate their own spiritual broken heart. That's the whole point of being spiritually broken. This one question, as you see here in your Bible in front of you, what shall we do? Is a life that not only exhibits a spiritual brokenness, But number two, it exhibits a joyful submission. Don't miss that. It not only shows a spiritual brokenness, it shows a joyful submission to God. When a heart is soft and tender, when it's pliable, when it's flexible, when you see that in yourself or you see that in someone else, it is showing God that I'm under your control. Holy Spirit, you indwell me and you take over me. And so I'm hearing you speak. I'm hearing you prompt. I know it's you talking to me. Put your name in there and we're not going to resist it. We're not going to make excuses. We're not going to blame shift and, and put it over on that person and that person. But we simply go, God, no, it's me. And, and I see what I've done. And God, I ask for your forgiveness. And oh, isn't that so beautiful that God goes, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to cast your sin as far as the east is to the west. I will make you clean. What's, what was once scarlet red is now washed as white as wool, the Bible says, and yet do we extend that same forgiveness to other people? We love, and we'll do it joyfully, accepting the forgiveness of God, won't we? But do we in turn extend that same joyful forgiveness to others. Key number two, write this down, your last key. When a person is spiritually broken, 
A vital response to hearing the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit is to pause and ask, what shall I do next spiritually? Let me say that again. Key number two, when a person is spiritually broken, a vital response to hearing the Word of God, listening through the power of the Holy Spirit is to pause and ask, what shall I do next spiritually? Did you notice that they didn't say, hey, Peter and the apostles, let us tell you what you're going to do. That wasn't their response. Why? Because they were cut to the heart. When you're cut to the heart, all pridefulness goes out the window. And you're just, what shall I do next spiritually? What shall I do? What can I do to to show a lost and dying world that, that Jesus, that you are the gospel? What can I do to live the gospel? What can I do to just ooze and, and manifest the gospel in my own life as I go forward? What can I do? What shall I do? Because their question of what shall we do was spiritual in nature. Did you think about that? Their question of what shall we do is spiritual in nature. You say, well, how do we know? Pretty simple. They were cut to the heart spiritually. And they were willing to take the next steps. And yet often, I confess, and all of us are guilty, and often we're so busy giving Jesus orders Often we're so busy giving Jesus our wish list and we've forgotten totally who is the real master and who is the real servant. Servants ask their masters how they can serve them. Servants don't ask their masters how the servants can be served. Think about this from Acts 22. We'll study this in the coming weeks. Acts 22, write it down, 6 through 11. Acts 22, 6 through 11. Listen to this as Paul is recounting his testimony from the Damascus Road. Listen to this powerful, powerful text here in these verses. Acts 22, 6 through 11. As I was on my way, he's explaining this, And I drew near to Damascus. About noon, a a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground. See the response? And I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. Now, pause there for a moment. So, here we got Acts chapter 2, and Peter's preaching his sermon. He's just rattling off his sermon. We saw there many other words accompanying what's in the text, and here's the crux of his text. You killed Jesus. Fast forward to Acts 22. Here's Paul, used to be Saul. He's encountered the King of glory on the Damascus road. He says, Jesus, what's going on? And Jesus goes, hey, how you doing, Paul? How you doing, Saul? Great to have you. How can I meet your needs today? How can I make you feel better? What's going on in your world? Got your feelings hurt? How you doing? Is that what he said? He goes, Saul, Saul, you're persecuting me. Wow. 
Now those who were with me, Paul continues, verse 9, saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of the one. Did you hear that? Oh, don't miss this. Now those who were with me saw the light. So they're seeing the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Boy, it's so easy to look at Jesus and go, there he is, there he is. Oh, there's Jesus. He's amazing. To not really hear him, to not really listen to him, to not really understand him. And I said, verse 10, <laughs> don't you love Scripture? Anyone else smiling right now before I read this question? Who's talking here? Do we know? Paul. And I said, help me, church, what shall I do, Lord? <laughs> Is anyone else connecting these dots besides me? Acts chapter 2, Jews, you killed Jesus. Cut to the heart. My heart's ripped wide open. I no longer want to walk in this deception, this pride. I don't want to be under the sway of the enemy any longer. I don't want to deal with his schemes and his lies and his devices. Oh, I'm so cut to the heart. What shall I do? And then there's Paul on the Damascus Road, who's walking in darkness. He's under the sway of the enemy. And the Holy Spirit comes on the scene through the power of Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus goes, hey, you're persecuting me. And Paul asked one question, what shall I do? See, that's what happens when the heart gets spiritually cut. When the heart's spiritually cut, it's not making deals with Jesus. It's not trying to weasel out of this and weasel out of that and make sure this person gets blamed over here and that person gets blamed over here. It's simply this, what shall I do? And as we might say, regarding Paul, the rest is history. See, the cut heart spiritually leads to asking questions spiritually of total surrender and total abandoning and renouncing one's life, and the rest in your life can be history as you surrender all to Jesus. Lastly, he says this, and the Lord said to me, rise, get up, go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do, I'm not going to tell you now. You faith me, you trust me. You walk by faith and not by sight. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, and they came into Damascus. Wow, oh wow. Last supporting text, write it down, Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, here it is. Luke 15, 17 through 24. Luke 17. Are our hearts tender? Are they pliable? Are we asking what shall we do? Well, I think this is one of the greatest examples of transformation in all of Scripture. It's the story of the prodigal son. Let me give you just a snapshot of this. But when he came to himself, when the prodigal son who said, Father, here's the deal, I'm going to consider you to be dead. You are so worthless to me, and I want me and my will so desperately that I'm going to count you as dead, even though you're not. Give me, give me, give me. Give me my inheritance now. And the father gives it to him. But when he, the prodigal son, came to himself, he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, (laughs) well, you see a cut to the heart here, don't you? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him from a distance and he felt compassion and he ran. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Don't go down to Jenny Craig. No, he said, go get a fat one, get a fat calf and bring it in there and let us eat and celebrate. Why? For this, my son was dead. For this, my son was dead spiritually, and he's alive again. He was lost spiritually, and he is now found. And they began to celebrate, and all God's people said, do you see what happens when you go from give me, give me, give me to make me, make me, make me? It's all about being cut to the heart. And every one of us in this room, myself at the top of the list, we can choose to go to war against God. That is an option in your life. But it's an option, church, that will not end well. That when you, just like me, prayerfully, we will be that prodigal son even today going, Lord, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. Forgive me. Don't give me, give me, give me this arrogance, this I'm in it for me. It's that me monster, me planet, me universe. No, no, it's just simple humility saying, oh God, just treat me like one of your hired servants. And the father, did you notice here? He goes, wait a minute, no, get him him the best robe. Give him a ring, give him shoes. He wasn't treating him like a servant. He was treating his son like a king. And do you understand this today, church, that this is exactly what Christ will do for you today when you give your life to Him in total surrender, when you and I repent from whatever is holding us back in that pursuit of holiness, He will metaphorically, He will spiritually, this is not health, wealth, prosperity. Your life from that day forward will actually get harder because now you're walking in the light and all those people around you that are in darkness, they will begin to come against you. But here's the great news. When you walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. We know this from Scripture that He will set the captives free. He will literally take you and me that perhaps we're in a self-imposed prison today. He will get in there and unshackle those chains that perhaps you and I have put on ourselves. He will set you free. But only if you somehow ask, what shall I do spiritually? And you'll only ask that if you're truly cut to the heart. What is the Lord speaking to you and I this morning? What is it today that even right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, He's illuminating truth in my life and your life? What is it today you need to lay on the altar? What is it this morning you need to go, I need to put this on the altar? 
Like this is standing between me and God. I'm putting on the show, it looks good, but this actually is in my life. I need to kill it. I need to mortify it. What is it today that I and you need to lay on the altar today, push back from the altar and go, Lord, I'm cut to the heart. Lord, what do you want me to do? When surrendered people begin to ask Christ, what shall we do? And they begin to follow in obedience what He says to do. That's the beginning of the revival. That's the beginning of the Reformation. That's the beginning of the revolution. All for the praise of God's glory. Father, we come before You today. And God, as we surrender our lives to You, God, I pray that all over this room and right here at this pulpit that we are all asking You, God, what shall we do? And God, if we're spiritually asking that, it's coming from a heart that's humble and contrite. It's coming from a heart that realizes where we've sinned. It's coming from a heart that so desires to be agitated spiritually violently to be pierced spiritually. It's coming from a heart that doesn't reject, but a heart that receives Your Word and takes hold of life. Perhaps there's one here, maybe several here today that have never truly given their life to You, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, perhaps right now You're drawing and You're stirring and You're wooing. And as we're praying even right now, You're saying, that's me. That's me. My prayer for you is that as your heart is now cut to the core, simply ask the Lord, what shall I do? Lord, I pray for those who've never truly given their life to Jesus, that today will be the day of salvation. I pray they'll step out by faith and just say, I want this Jesus who is called the Christ. I want Him in my life. I want Him to take over my life. Oh God, will you move all over this room? Father, for those that perhaps are living in disobedience, even though they've truly given their life to You, but maybe, Holy Spirit, You've illuminated some deep truth today through Your Word. And they're asking, what shall I do? Lord, I pray that anyone asking that question will just simply repent and follow in obedience. Maybe you're here today and the Holy Spirit's instructed you when you've said, what shall I do? He said, hey, I want you to come forward just to pray at the altar. Maybe you are that one that needs to give your life to Christ today. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. You may not have another breath tomorrow. Wouldn't right now be the best time to get this all straightened out? Lord, whatever you want us to do, it's real simple, God. We want to be cut to the heart. We want to hear you give the directions, and then we want to follow in obedience. It's that simple. So, Lord, may you stir in this time. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. 
Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.